This is the Sales Gravy Podcast. I'm Jeff Blunt, best-selling author of People Buy You, and I'm here to help you knock down more doors, close bigger deals, and rock your commission check. Three weeks ago, I, along with my good friends Anthony Arino, Mark Hunter, and Mike Weinberg, delivered Virtual Sales Kickoff 2017. Almost 7,000 people from across the globe attended the live streaming event. Now, we've done this three times, but this year's event was the best ever. On this episode, you'll get to listen to the entire event uncut. And be sure to stick around for the after show because some people say that was the very best part. During VSKO 17, we also announced the Outbound Conference that will take place in Atlanta, Georgia at the Intercontinental Hotel in Buckhead on April 13, 2017. The special invitation list that you'll hear us talk about is closed, but you can still get tickets by going to outboundconference.com. Use the coupon code JEB199, that's J-E-B-199, to get $100 off the professional-level ticket. Outbound is the only conference dedicated to prospecting, pipeline, and productivity. We'll give you our best tips, techniques, and secrets for filling your pipeline using the phone, email, social media, and even text messaging. If you attend one event this year, make it Outbound because, quite honestly, it is the only event that will help you make more money. Just go to OutboundConference.com for more information. That's OutboundConference.com and use coupon code JEB199 for the professional-level ticket. And now, here's Virtual Sales Kickoff 2017. Hey, it's Anthony Anarino, and this is the 2017 Virtual Sales Kickoff This is the third time that we've done this thing. It's shocking to believe that it's been three years in a row and every year you get bigger. The crowd just gets bigger and bigger every year as we go. And this year we've got a very, very strong agenda. We're going to be talking about prospecting. We're going to be talking about pipeline and we're going to be talking about productivity because the four of us have decided that these are the biggest trends that we see that are going to impact your results in 2017. So just a quick introduction to my friends. I'll say hello. Mike Weinberg, you are in the screen. How are you, my friend? Hey, Anthony. Awesome. Happy 2017. Jeb Blunt. Ready to be here, getting fanatical. And it just looks great. That's the biggest book I've ever seen behind you. That's actual size, right? Actual size. And Mark competing for the largest book on screen right now. (laughs) Hey, I'm, I'm trying to get, I'm just going to have to get a bigger monitor. That's all. I think so. There's a contest here. This says something about these two gentlemen. I want you to be aware of it and you can make your own decisions as to uh, what that might mean. You know, in these, uh, these VSKs that we do, uh, we're delivering this to you because of a couple of reasons. One, we want to democratize sales kickoffs. So a lot of people get to go to a big multi-million dollar event. And some people don't get to do that. So we wanted to give you the opportunity to do that. And we couldn't do this without our friends at Cirrus Insight who sponsored this event. And we'll tell you a little bit more about that later on with a very special announcement. But right now, let's dig into making your 2017 your best sales year ever. And I want to start with talking about prospecting myths, because there's so much out there on the internet right now about prospecting and about 
what works and what doesn't work. And now there's a whole bunch of rules. You're not allowed to ever do this again because the buyer has changed. And millennials hate the phone, which is interesting to me because I've never seen a millennial more than about two inches away from their phone if it's not locked into their left hand already. Mark, I'll start with you. Let's talk about this concept that you continue to see. And I know you've been, uh, you've gone rogue and have started to throw down the gauntlet on cold calling on LinkedIn. That social is enough to fill your pipeline. It's not because if you want to starve to death, it's a great way to do it. And, and I'll tell you what, here's, here's what prospecting is all about. It's a one-to-one -one conversation. Social media too much is you just throw this crap out there and you think the phone's going to ring. Well, let me tell you something. You're going to starve to death waiting for the phone to ring. What I say, and it's, it's a tweet I've been talking about for a long time, social media without social community is social stupidity. So, I mean, I, this drives me. Nuts. Cold calling works. Don't sit there and say cold call. I'm, I'm going rogue here. I'm going rogue early. Don't say that cold calling doesn't work because it does work. I'll, I'll match up in almost any industry. And I know, Jeb, you talk a lot about this. Mike, you talk. Anthony, we all talk about this. Cold calling works. It's just that what people are afraid to do it because they have the wrong mindset and they're trying to make the call about them. No, it's about the person you're calling. Okay, I'll shut up. I, I won't go rogue yet. I'll give the mic to somebody. <laughs> but we'll pick, up on, we'll pick up on messaging, I'm sure, and, and being an effective prospect. Let me just jump in real quick, Anthony. Um, I, 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 I'm kind of amused, to be honest with you. About a year ago, we were celebrating the fact that I think the first wave of the social selling charlatans had kind of crashed. And uh, somehow in the last few months, there's this new wave of really loud voices. I got in a, an argument with a, a gentleman on LinkedIn who basically wrote a, a LinkedIn post that was getting some good play that was saying that um, you'd have to basically be dumb and on your last resort if you chose to pick up the telephone and prospect and make what I call proactive calls, cold calls. And uh, when, I, when I challenged this guy in the comments section, uh, pointing out that I had lots of clients that were successful uh, getting into very strategically targeted accounts using the telephone, uh, he snapped back at me and not only attacked me personally, but he, he let me know that I must be wrong because there were 200 people that liked his post. So he must be saying the right things. And I, I think we've crossed into this new territory where uh, what you need now, you know, if people are judging the effectiveness of a, a sales improvement guy by how many likes he gets on a post on LinkedIn, we're in some deep trouble. And, it, and so there's this, there's this new round of charlatans preaching the same old stuff the easy button that every, you know, you, you don't need to do it. And, and we all know better. And, and, and I just want to say this and then I'll, I'll yield to Jeb. None of us here are anti-social selling. We all engage in social. We all put out intellectual property. We all use inbound in various ways. It drives most of the business that for a lot of us that we get in our own consulting, but we're consultants and we're authors. It's very different than telling a salesperson you should be blogging and hanging out all day in LinkedIn groups. We're not anti-social. I'm anti the idiots that are lying to you that have an agenda trying to sell you their social selling training. So I just want to put that delineation I, up right I'm now. just worried that I'm going to have to work really hard to try to get you guys to come out of your shell and share what you're thinking on this VSK. I mean, if I could get a little candor here, that'd be good. Jeb, you wrote a book called Fanatical Prospecting that has sold as many copies as uh, any book in sales. It's the Harry Potter of sales books for some reason. Talk to people about what they need to do to succeed in prospecting now. What's working? Well, you know, first of all, I think that the problem with the guys that say cold calling works or doesn't work is that, first of all, they don't understand what cold calling is. 
and they're not really afraid of the cold call. They're just afraid to interrupt. And that's what the, the, the social selling charlatans, I like the way you put that, Mike, that's, that's what they're, that's what they're selling to you is they're pandering you and saying that you don't have to interrupt anybody anymore. You hang out on social media and they will interrupt you. And it turns out that Walmart doesn't take likes when you want to buy things there. They, they take money. And if you want to make money, you have to start thinking about prospecting a little bit differently. It's a, it's about balance. The, the telephone is and will always be your most powerful channel. You can pick up the phone, you can talk to more people, you can engage them one-on-one, you can get your messaging right, you can open doors where other other prospecting processes won't work. But along with the telephone, there is email, and email is powerful when you combine it with the phone. There's there's in-person prospecting. There's a ton of field salespeople who go and just walk into a business's door and, and engage at that point. You can use text messaging today. It's become very powerful. We even use tools that allow us to to send an email, bring someone into a landing page, and then use proactive chat to flip that into a phone call. The, the key is balance. And if you look at it this way, if if you had a friend of yours who came to you and said, hey, they've taken all the money out of their 401k, and they've put it into this dude who showed up in their city at the Doubletree and did a seminar on stocks. They're putting all their eggs in one stock, all their money in one stock. If you're a good friend, you'd grab them by their shirt, car, shirt collar, you'd shake them and you'd say, there's something wrong with you. Don't do that. You know, you need to diversify your investments so that you 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 spread your risk out and you get the best statistical probability of winning. This is the same thing with prospecting. You need to spread your, your, your risk out over multiple channels. So you have the best statistical probability of getting in front of the right prospect at the right time with the right message. And that's my problem with social selling. It's not that social is a bad thing because I think social is part of an integrated and balanced prospecting methodology. It's just that the social selling gurus who come and go, most of them are unable to even sustain a business on it because it doesn't work. They're telling you to do one thing and to do one thing is pure stupidity. Yeah, it's interesting because the the honest people in in that space, like Jamie Shanks, you know, will tell you he's got people that cold call, you know, and he's the first person I think he said it on my podcast out loud. And he said, are you kidding? We have to make calls. Well, um, Stephen, you, you know, know Mark Robert at, at HubSpot, you know, he's, um, I've heard him on an interview recently and I know it because they cold called me, you know, he had this inbound marketing machine and he went into his bosses and said, we're going to fail if we don't pick up the phone and do some outbound cold calls. Yeah. Yeah, and we happen to know what books they have that they're using for training at inside HubSpot for their outbound sales team. So I think that I've never heard anything more convicting than that. So I think we're all in agreement. It's 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 there's a lot of effort that's got to go into this. Let me uh, let me move us. I want to stay on prospecting because I continue to get a question over and over again about voicemails. And I, I have a lot of people who suggest that they shouldn't leave a voicemail when they make a call. Mike, you're already disagreeing. <laughs> Let me finish the setup. <laughs> they think that there's something wrong with leaving a voicemail. And uh, I, I've never understood this personally. Tell me about voicemail. When you prospect now, especially if you're going to use the phone, you're going to get voicemail. So one, should you leave one? And then how do you make it effective? Yeah, the answer is yes. And I, I would say going back way, way in history, when I was a mad prospector, and worked my way to becoming a top producer because I was a mad prospector. I didn't leave voicemails, but that's before everybody hid behind voicemail and not everybody had caller ID. You call a prospect five, six times today and don't leave a message. Number one, you've pissed them off. Number two, they're probably going to call the police because you're stalking them. So that's not a good idea. Uh, the other the other issue is if, if you get voicemail, and my clients on average, it's 
in the B2B world, 75 to 80% of the calls go to voicemail. So if we're going to get it that often, my, my message is instead of dreading it, why don't we look forward to it and see it as this chance? And Mark and I will disagree on the length of the voicemail. I'll, let, uh, I'll yield to him in a second. But I, I see it as a chance to leave a pretty nice 30-second commercial where you're not interrupting somebody. They're not trying to hang up on you. And you have a chance to, to leave a very succinct message and drip a few value nuggets, share some of your personality, share how you're helping other clients. And, and here's the reality. And I take some of this from Art Subject, uh, from his book, Smart Calling, way back, where he talks about the reality that you, no one returns one call from a salesperson. So if you know they're not going to call you back after one message, then plan to leave four. And I will tell you that what I regularly see is it's the salesperson who leaves three or four messages in a condensed period of time, you know, every four or five days, who earns the callback from perseverance and creativity. You, you hang in there, you're, you've got a little humor or use a little guilt. You're dripping value and you're communicating to the person that you're not going away and you're motivated to call them because you can believe you believe you can help them. And I'll, I'll just end this part with voicemail. So many times, if you do a good job leaving what I would say would be three to four messages in a pretty succinct, you know, uh, buttoned up period of time. So often we get that call back. And what is the first thing that prospect says when they, we, when they call us back? I'm they so say, sorry. Thank you. I hear that every time I do a workshop. I'm so sorry. They're apologizing to you and say, I'm so, I've been so busy. Thanks for pursuing me. And at that point, then who's got the chips in the conversation? Of course, you're going to get that meeting. So I'll, I'll leave it there. Voicemail is a must. Okay. Can I jump in on this? You have to. Yeah, because this is, this is one of the few things that Mike and I disagree on. I say the ideal voicemail message is 11 to 14 seconds. Now I'll share with you my comments and thoughts. A, the reason people don't listen to voicemails is because they're lousy. I mean, think about it. That's why, well, nobody listens. No, no. You've got to leave an energetic, good, tight voicemail. And I say it's 11 to 14 seconds. I'm going to leave one piece of value to you. And then I'm going to repeat my name. I'm going to give my phone number twice. And that's it. Now, every time I leave you a voicemail, I'm just like Mike. I'm going to leave three, four voicemails. What am I doing? I'm creating a cadence with you. I'm leaving you a different message, a different reason. But I think this is maybe the one difference between Mike and myself. I feel the 11 to 14 seconds is I'm demonstrating that I respect your time. Let's see. So that's all. That, that, that's just a play. And, and I think both methods can be successful. I just think mine's better than Mike. But no, 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 no. no. That's okay. We're going we're gonna to let Jeb be the uh, arbiter here, and, and he gets to play Judge Solomon right now and decide where to split the baby. Is it 24 seconds? What is it, Jeb? Well, I think that, you know, voicemails, to, to, if you think about a voicemail, if you think about the ones you don't like, right, they're too long, um, and they're tedious, and they're difficult, and they don't create any curiosity. That, those, that's just me, you know, it's you getting a voicemail. So your voicemail needs to be short and sweet in 30 seconds to 14 seconds. 30 seconds is fine, but it's short and sweet. It's, um, it generates interest or it creates some curiosity, really powerful to get people to call back. So you may say, hey, we've got something new to look at, or we've got something, I've got some information that other clients are using that are helping them do something else that, again, you create curiosity, you don't sell it all. And you got to make it easy for people to call you back. So I always suggest that you leave your voice, your phone number twice at the beginning and twice at the end so that you don't force people to listen to your voicemail over again. And if you leave your, your, uh, your phone number over again, and if you leave your phone number twice, then it's it's easier for them to 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 hear you and call back. But here's the thing about voicemail, because people ask me the same question, you know, when should I leave a voicemail? And my answer is there's no tried and true rule. You have to make a decision for yourself. But it is about time. 
So if I'm doing a phone block and let's say that every voicemail takes 30 seconds over the course of 30 calls, that's a lot of time. And when you think about the average voicemail, um, you know, the, the response rate is going to be somewhere between two and five percent in the B2B space. It's a really expensive use of time for a low ROI activity. So my tried and true rule for voicemail is I leave, leave voicemails when it matters. So if it's a if it's a highly qualified targeted prospect that I know a buying window is open and I need to get in, I'm going to leave a voicemail until they call me back. In fact, I had a client one time, um, a big um, a big uh, film company that I, I left a voicemail for 52 days in a row. And I didn't change my voicemail, same voicemail. Your contract's coming up with my competitor. If you don't do something, you're going to lose your choice. And I finally got in the door with that. But you can't do that with every every prospect. That's opposed to, so for example, let's say I'm deep in my CRM and I'm calling prospects where I just know the name of the company. I don't even know who I'm calling. I don't know, I don't know how qualified they are. In those cases, I'm, I'm dialing a lot of numbers as fast as I can, trying to find someone to get information from. And leaving a 30-second voicemail on those probably doesn't really do me a lot of good because I don't know how qualified they are. So I just try to use my noggin and my common sense when I'm leaving voicemails so that I'm leaving voicemails on the highest quality, highest potential prospects, and I'm leaving voicemails that create enough curiosity to get people to call me back and are easy for them to call me back on. I don't create a problem for them or difficulty for them. If you ever wondered how the no call list started, you just heard the story uh, 52 <laughs> days in a row. And we now have legislation that prevents people from uh, dialing over and over again. I learned about uh, voice messages from my good friend, Robbie Rickman, who when I was a kid and I moved to LA, he missed me. And we used to have little microscopic tapes that would keep a little bit of content on a voicemail. And he would leave his whole side of a conversation he wanted to have with me on the voicemail. And so it would literally take of a 20 minute tape, maybe 18 minutes of the whole, the whole segment. So I would see that there was two beeps and the two minute message was after Robbie's 18 minute message, which meant I had to listen to the whole thing. And I decided the best thing to do is just leave my side of the story on the client's phone. And that's worked well for me. 30 seconds, 45, leave something there so they know who you are and definitely tell them you're calling them back. That works better than anything. It's not their responsibility to call you back. You call them back. Let me talk can, can about. I, can one, I say one thing though, real sure. quickly? There's yeah, there are some there are some morons. And I'm I'm using we, we're just calling them out. There's some moron sales trainers out there who are giving advice that sounds like this: get in the middle of the voicemail and just hang the phone up, and no. that'll call them and call you back. And here's the deal: it might if you create enough curiosity, people call you back. But when they call you back, you're damaging your brand and you're damaging your integrity. There are people who say call and leave a voicemail, but don't leave your phone number. I don't even understand the basis of that. Um, and there are a whole these other tricks that you can do on voicemails to get people to call back. Here's, here's my message to you. Don't use tricks. You are a sales professional. Leave a voicemail message, however you choose to do it, but it's professional. It's your message. It's your phone number. It's your information. It's relevant. But don't play tricks with prospects because you might get through once, but then they're going to know that you're just another schmuck out there that's trying to trick them and you're going to lose all your credibility. You never hey, want to violate trust at the beginning of a relationship. Anthony, I'm going to jump in real quick here. One comment. You prospect with integrity and you will get clients with integrity. When people are using that crap type of stuff, no wonder you're going to wind up with crappy clients. I, I think he's reading tweets that he wrote. I think he's, I think he's got these down. They're, they're, sound bites, sound bites. they're so good. He's got it down. Yeah, I just want to add one more thing on voicemail. I, I've had a lot of success in my own career and I've got clients 
that are really winning. I've got one thing I'm going to ask salespeople not to do, and then and and then just an encouragement. Can we stop using these two phrases? I'm reaching out. I'm touching base. Everyone says them. They're overused. They're hackneyed. They bring no value. Work hard on your messaging. And later on in this conversation, we'll talk about what are the types of things you want to say to get to get somebody's attention. So let's not use those phrases. And my encouragement is, and I know every one of us on this on this session today uh, would would testify to this. You can absolutely build a relationship with someone who has not called you back yet. I've got story after story of someone who I was prospecting. And if you're good and you're creative and you use a little humor and you get uh, drip bits and pieces of your story in there, sometimes those people actually look forward to getting your messages. And we all have the story of the person who finally got back to us and it turned into one of those, you know, dream clients because it was worth all the effort. So, so don't give up too fast. Most people leave one or two messages, never call again. And that's why they don't get any traction. I, I don't want to leave prospecting yet though, without tackling uh, a subject that I continue to see come up over and over again. And it is, should an account executive still prospect? And especially, is that true when they have an SDR or a BDR or an ADR? There's all these DRs. Uh, I can't keep track of all the acronyms anymore. There's too many of them. But the conflict is, do I still have to prospect if I have somebody doing this because they're supposed to be doing it? And then I always hear from the SDR, everybody hates me. I mean, if, if I try to do any value creating then the rep that I handed off to is mad that I stole their thunder by actually creating value on a call rather than just saying, listen, I just need to see if you have the budget, the authority, and uh, a time-bound event that's going to cause you to buy, which isn't hugely value-creating for the person they're talking to. And then the client has a tough time when they're just being qualified. So what's what's the role of the AEM prospecting and what's the role of the SDR in, in dealing with how much value do I create? Jeb, I'm going to go to you first because you're sitting there. Yeah, I've, um, this has been a, an issue that we've run into. And because of fanatical prospecting, I've been on the road speaking to a number of software companies, cloud, um, IoT, SaaS companies that are having and struggling with this issue. And the issue that they're, that they're facing is that the pipelines are not robust enough. And they've got SDR groups that are really good. I've met great SDRs, great leaders. But the AEs are sitting back and whining and complaining at marketing for not providing enough leads and at the SDRs for not generating enough leads into the pipeline. And I'll give you a great example. I recently had a conversation with a sales vice president in Australia who had a team of 10 AEs and had a couple of SDRs that were supporting them both in the United States and in Australia. And the the pipeline was thin. I mean, as thin as you could possibly get, and they were missing their number. And the AEs would not prospect. The AEs, that's not my job. That's the SDR's job. Now, we're not talking about a prospect database of of massive proportion. There were less than a thousand potential customers in um, Australia and Asia that, that would fit into their world. But instead of picking up the phone and doing something about it, the AEs were essentially sitting around doing nothing, complaining about the SDRs. And when I spoke to this group, uh, you know, the group of AEs, I was, it was tough love. It was like, you've got to pick the phone up. I mean, if I had a, if I had a thin pipeline and a thousand prospects, I would do whatever it took to get on the telephone and, and, and interrupt their day and bring them in. And I think this issue is bigger than this question, but it's, it's an issue that's facing everybody. I mean, earlier this week, I'm in a, having a conversation with a software company on behalf of marketing to, to tell the SDRs, marketing is going to provide all your leads. 
everybody in the organization owns the pipe. Everybody does. And the pipe is life. And if you don't have enough stuff in your pipe, it is on you. You own it to pick up the phone, get in your car, do whatever you have to do to fill the pipe up. And you can't blame it on anybody else. Because at the end of the day, if you're an AE and you don't have enough deals in your pipeline, it's your income and your family that are going to be impacted. And by the way, and I've heard you say this before, Anthony, I'm going to leave it at this. If I can't trust you to ask someone for time, how in the world can I trust you to ask someone for money? Did somebody just tweet the pipe is life? Yes. Did somebody tweet yes. that? <laughs> Don't ever forget that. Uh, we're, we are, we're tweet worthy today. Mike, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, first of all, I, I, I would stand up if I wasn't going to get out of the screen and applaud what the last little monologue from Jeff there. So powerful, such, such powerful truth. I'm going to give you two thoughts. One is that I'm a complete contrarian when it comes to qualifying. And Anthony, as soon as you started going down the path of budget, authority, you know, immediate need, or the timing there, um, what what runs through my head? Because because in the world where I, in my framework, and then the companies I'm playing with, I'm always preaching we're going to really be strategic about the targets that we're pursuing. Which is why the idiots on the internet that tell us that, well, when you cold call the phone book, well, no one's cold calling the phone book. So let's put that straw man away. If you're really strategic and you have a list of ideal profile prospects, and then as Anthony calls them, also some monster size, some dream clients that, that you're pursuing, you want to see them. You want the discovery meeting. And when you qualify too heavily when you're prospecting, whether you're an SDR or you're a, a full salesperson, AE, or however you want to break it out. If you're super qualifying, you're too late by the time you get there. You're waiting until they have the need. They're shopping. Your more proactive competitor probably got in there, is defining the criteria. He's shaping how their buying process. You're crazy. So I'm not a, if, if they're on your list, I'm not qualifying at all. So that's the one contrarian thing. Um, and the, and the, the thought I want to share with you, I heard this from one of my high-end clients out on the West Coast. We were doing a workshop, and they were taught the SDRs were not in the room. It was just the, the senior salespeople. And, and I love this one veteran person said, this is how I look at the leads and the appointments that the SDRs get me. I look at them like we should all look at social security as a percent of our retirement income. It's going to be a little bit extra. You know, it's going to be the gravy, but I better not be counting on it. And I think that aligns really well with what Jeb was saying. If the pipe is life, you darn well better take responsibility for, for making sure that thing is full. And don't you dare Wait for anyone, whether it's marketing or social or SDRs, to be giving you opportunities. If you don't have enough, it's on you. It's sales, sales gravy. He yeah. said sales gravy. That's what he said. Sales gravy. It's sales gravy. I've heard of that company somewhere. You will never have a full pipeline. You will never have a full pipeline unless everybody's prospecting. You've got to have a prospecting culture in the organization. And that means the AE has to be prospecting. This drives me nuts because, again, this comes back. To, this is no different than sales blaming marketing, you know, marketing blaming sales. I, I just did a webinar on this a couple of weeks ago on this, and I really took it to task. It's the same thing. AEs will blame the SD. I don't care what you want to put in the DR, but it's AEs must be out there prospecting. And, oh, by the way, account executives, many times are you even prospecting in your existing accounts well enough? Because I'm amazed at the number of times that I will work with an AE, be talking with AEs, and there are opportunities, which comes to a real quick point. I'll just mention, hey, if you're a sales manager, I hate the term sales manager, you're a sales leader. You got to ask yourself, what are the incremental opportunities you're bringing to your team because of your prospecting? 
you must be held accountable to it too. And I know Mike is passionate about that whole thing of, you know, of sales leaders should be nothing more than desk jockeys, but that's a different issue. Everybody here's a little passionate, a little bit worked up today. Anthony, how about you? You must talk to us. I know you have an opinion on this. We, we had this conversation in the back of a limo once in New York City on the way to an event where you were, you were talking about your frustration with, with SDRs and, and um, how they were frustrated. They weren't allowed to bring value. Yeah. Why don't you unpack that I, a little bit? I, I think it's insane to ever have a salesperson in any role contact a prospective client without having the ability to create value for that prospective client in that interaction. So if they can't talk about the challenges that they help customers with, if they can't talk about the trends in the industry and all the things that should be causing that client to change and engage with them, it's no wonder that the cancellation rate for all the appointments, the SDRs book is something north of 80%. I mean, the reason people don't show up is because that person created no value. So what do they have to look forward to? And uh, I've, I've spent this morning... Uh, working on book two. And, you know, one of the concepts is we're always trading value for the time that we ask our client for. So if that SDR is being charged with having a conversation, they're trading whatever value that person brings. And the AEs are just going to have to man up or woman up and say, listen, hand it to me at whatever stage you get it to. I'm fine. If you did good discovery work, give me a good handoff, hand the phone call over and we'll do it together. But they can't be intimidated by that. And they can't think that, well, they already did some discovery, so now I don't have to do discovery. Well, pick it up where it is. You can do it. You're a senior rep. Come on. Well, and I think it's, you know, I think the deeper issue is that, and I don't, I don't think this is on every sales team, and I certainly think that there are, as Mark said, there are prospecting cultures and sales cultures out there that have a completely different paradigm. But I think on many of the sales organizations or sales teams where they're not filling the pipe up, the AEs have almost adopted an entitlement mentality. It's like they're in a fraternity or sorority. Like I already went through hazing. That was SDR. So, you know, I don't have to do any of this work. And you you always notice that you have an entitlement mentality when the AEs begin complaining about the quality of the lead that the SDR sent them. In other words, if the lead isn't on a silver plat platter and totally qualified, and like Mike said, when you get those, those unicorns in, you're probably way too late. But I mean, if you just have your SDR is calling up and banning people. I mean, that's 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 nuts. You've already missed the boat. And I think that the the shift has to be that the that what everybody said here that the SDR is extra. It's gravy, uh, and that it's um, you should be excited and happy. And you have to have you have to look at it and say this was a gift that somebody showed up and gave me a lead, no matter where it is in the process. And I now have an opportunity that I can go work that I can turn into something. If you don't change the entitlement mentality on your sales team, if you have that, you're not going to change the way the pipeline looks. I got to grab control of the reins here because I could keep you guys here all day on this subject, but I have more content that we need to give people here right now. Quick shout out to Morgan Ingram, who's uh, in Atlanta, SDR Chronicles. Go check out his YouTube channel if you're uh, an SDR and you want a deeper look at that. I want to switch us into pipeline at a deeper level, and I want to talk about velocity. So I want uh, each of you, we'll go around the horn here and talk about why do deals stall and why do so many reps right now have trouble getting to the next step or gaining that next commitment? Let's start with uh, you, Jeb, because you're still up here. 
Okay, so um, when we when we look at, at at sales teams, at least from my consulting practice, that are having problems with pipelines, and this is you know this is a typical thing that happens, which is consultant people don't call you in when everything is all, all right; they call you when things are wrong. When we take a look at those teams, there's usually two things that if we focus on those two things, we're going to fix. Um, and the first thing is the prospecting. So if you're not getting enough stuff into the pipeline to begin with, you've got a problem because as you're pushing things into the pipeline, if you keep pushing things into the pipeline, deals that are stalled will naturally wash themselves out because you no longer have time to invest on them. And that's the beautiful thing about prospecting, not to mention that the more opportunities are in your pipeline, the more confidence you feel. And in sales, emotion is contagious. And the more confident I am, the easier it is for me to ask for the next steps, micro commitments, the opportunities that I need to move the deal forward while I'm in the sales process. That's number one. You've got to be prospecting all the time, every day. Number two, when we look at stalled deals, pipelines that are slowed down, the number two reason is that the salespeople are not consistently asking for the next step. And how do I know that? When I'm dealing with a customer who is having a problem, I'll sit down and do a pipeline review with the reps. And what I'm asking for is what's the next step? And what I find is a lot of gobbledygook. I mean, yeah, well, I'm going to call them or we've lost touch or I'm leaving, you know, messages. And what you, what you find is a whole lot of reps who are just checking in. They just check in and check in and check in and check in. And so because they didn't ask for the next step, because they didn't solidify that, the deal stalls. And now they got to just check in to go get the next step. And you get into this vicious cycle. And when you're in that cycle, the worst thing that happens is the reps begin replacing prospecting, calling new opportunities with just checking in and calling the same old stalled deals that are never going to close over and over and over and over again. And then finally, in the middle of all that, you have sales leaders, and I'm sure Mike will talk about this, who don't have the courage to shake reps loose from deals that are never going to close. I mean, the reps are walking around like Gollum in the Lord of the Rings. When you tell them, hey, that deal's not going to close, it's bad, let it go, they're hanging on to it and screaming, it's my precious, it's my precious. And so you've got to have leadership. You have to have next steps consistent every time. You never leave a meeting with our next steps. And you constantly got to be prospecting, pushing stuff into the pipe that washes the deals that are naturally not going to close out. Is there another kickoff where Gollum and Precious are going to be uh, referred to in, in the conversation about deals? I would say no. That was only exclusive content. You can only get here. I love your passion on this. I'm going to move over to uh, Mike Weinberg to get your thoughts. Yeah, uh, boy, Jeb. Again, yeah, those some some just some gold nuggets there. Um, Anthony, you talk a ton about, uh, especially in this incredible uh, USA Today best-selling book. I mean, like the, the, the chapters in here on gaining commitment, and I am a fan of commitment. I think so many of us, to pick up where Jeb left off, we don't close for the next step. So we 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 even give our we leave a sales call, a discovery meeting, and we give ourselves work to do but we don't shake on what the customer's next step is. And therefore it just goes off into a dark hole. A lot of times I think deals will stall because at the end of a discovery conversation, we know there are objections or obstacles that are going to make this thing hard. They, they've used a certain methodology for a long time or they've been with our competitors process or they're on a platform that doesn't tend to play well with ours or they have some limiting beliefs. There's all these things we've kind of heard in the discovery meeting. And then we rush at the end of the meeting because we want to leave with happy ears and we don't deal with those objections. And those are reasons that the deal stalls later. I'd say the other thing we see a lot is that deals, deals end up stalling because we get to either the presentation stage or the proposal stage too soon. Just because a prospect asks you to come do a capabilities overview 
or they want to see your demo, it does not mean it's the right time to do it. You may not have the right people in the room. And frankly, and you guys have, have heard me for a long time, I say this regularly. If you don't really understand that prospect situation and can't put up a couple slides outlining what their exact situation is and their desired outcomes and their current pain and where they're trying to get, then you don't really have a right to do a presentation yet. You should still be doing discovery work. And I, I would say the same thing goes at the proposal stage. I have so many clients when I meet them that it's almost like they're being paid to do proposals. And I'm like, you only get paid when you close a deal. You don't get paid to do work. Just because the customer asked you for a quote, it doesn't mean you should give them one. In fact, a lot of times you're quoting the wrong thing. And it's that, and it's that point where you need to stop and push back and redefine the situation and find the value and meet more stakeholders. There's all kinds of things that we should be doing before we get to the proposal stage. And, and a lot of times that's where they go dark. We just, we, we rush through it and we didn't follow a good sales process. You get actually a hundred percent of the revenue on uh, every deal that you lose, right? Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. Mark. Oh, there's so much here that I want to talk about, but let me share with you. These are the two money words that you got to be, you got to be looking for this. This is, these are your two money words. You've got to get the customer, that prospect, wherever you are in the sales process, in, the, in that pipeline funnel, to say great question. Now, what happens when they say great question? That's got them thinking. That gets you thinking. That gets the dialogue. We see too many deals stalling out in the pipeline. Why? Because really what it is, is just the salesperson thinks they're still in the pipeline. They're not in the pipe. They're not really in a, they're just in your pipeline because your boss is sitting there saying, oh, you got to keep a full pipeline. No. What I want to do is I want to be saying, if I can't engage the customer and get them to be sharing with me a reason as to how I can help them with the outcome, I don't want to be talking with them. I don't want to be spending my time with them. Because here's the other thing. I see, and I'm, I'm going rogue again. I see too many salespeople sitting here spending time with prospects that they shouldn't be spending time with just because they will return a phone call or something like that, or, or they'll, they'll converse with them. So go back to what I started off with. Your objective is to be sitting there saying, asking them a question that gets the customer, whether it be on the phone, in person, whatever, say, great question. That gets the dialogue. I've got to get to the outcome. And I've got to create that outcome in a way that I can help you solve, help you fix, and be able to move you to the next stage. From my view, velocity really comes down to linking together commitment to commitment to commitment. And I think that the mistake that I see salespeople make is they don't know what the next commitment really needs to be. And so they don't get that next commitment. And when they don't, they start to try to speed up the process by skipping ahead. So if you look at chapter 11 in the Only Sales Guide, there's 10 commitments, and that's the bulk of the second book. And basically, it's linking together all these commitments. And when you skip, like Mike said, and you say, I did a good discovery meeting with one stakeholder, and now I'm going to do a presentation. And I skipped over this part where we collaborate on the solution and where we build consensus and where we really explore what change is going to mean for this company and how to do it. You massively slow down the process because you've gone to a point where they're not capable to say yes anymore because you didn't do the things you needed to before you got to that point. So velocity in sales pipelines is fast as slow and slow as fast. The faster you try to go, the slower things go for you. And the more you slow down and try to make sure that you get to check every box, I've got this commitment, I've got this commitment, we did this work, the easier it is for people to say yes and move with you. So if you want to go faster, slow down, and make sure that the client gets what they need at every stage and that they make every commitment you need them to make so that they can actually make real change. And 
I'll just say one last word about this. I, I don't think we talk enough about this as uh, individually or as a group, but we're change agents. I mean, when we come in, we're going to have a client actually make change and they're going to do something different on the other side. And that's no small feat. I mean, we might get the deal, but from their end, they've got to help execute. They've got to make massive change inside their own organization. And it's complicated and messy the bigger the deal gets. So when you're a change agent, it means you have to know how to actually make change and not just get a signature. Because I've seen probably more deals this year where somebody got a signature and then the client couldn't execute because they didn't do this work. Jeb, you want to jump in here? Yeah, I want to leave you with one, you know, one core rule on this. And I think you're absolutely right. It is commitment to commitment to commitment. I mean, it's a series of micro commitments, typically a series of small commitments along the way that lead to a bigger commitment outcome. So there's two things that I think that we have a problem. And I want Mike to jump in and, and, um, and, and maybe tell me I'm wrong or tell me I'm right. But there's two things. One, you've got salespeople who allow the relationship to get in the way of the outcome. The outcome of the meeting is what my next step is. And if I don't know what I'm asking for at the end of the meeting, my, my prospect isn't going to be able to give it to me. And that's how so many meetings end up with a, well, I'll give you a call next week sometime. And then you never get back in. And my top rule, and this is a rule for me and for my salespeople. So this is not something I'm just telling you, but this is something that we live in my company is this. You never, ever, 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 ever leave a sales meeting without a firm commitment for a next step that's on your prospect's calendar and on your calendar. What if they say, we'll call you next week? You say, I've got my calendar out. I'm going to be really busy next book week. Book the time. You book yeah, the time. I'm, I've got a lot of stuff. Let's set a time for one o'clock on Thursday. Because if they're not willing to book that time with you, your deal is dead. I just had to do and that. I know I, he's already that. fired up. Yeah, I <laughs> Go ahead, Mark. Ahead, that's Mark. why a lot of deals stay in people's pipeline. Because they're not willing to admit this dog don't hunt. This isn't going anywhere. And they somehow think, well, because the customer didn't shoot me down, it's still alive. Where's yeah. the commitment? Where's the next step? The firm. Well, and we become, and, and, and to build on that, we become prisoners of hope to this pathetic pipeline because there's not enough in it. And you guys have brought up sales management a couple of times. And I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to pull what I'm going to share right now, right out of sales management simplified in the chapter of one-on-one and accountability meetings. Um, if you're a sales manager, every single month, you need to be asking your people two questions about the pipeline. Everyone should have to answer. Name the new opportunities that are in this funnel now that were not here 30 days ago. In other words, what did you create or identify that's now new in the pipeline? If the pipe is life, how are we keeping this thing alive? What'd you put in? And then the second question is a little bit easier. What did you advance? What, what opportunities were in here? And I'm telling you, if you, and if you don't have a sales manager that asks you that, shame on them. Sales rep, you should ask it to yourself. You want to know how effective you are at adding to the pipeline, advancing the pipeline? You track that metric every single month, and you'll know exactly, exactly how you're doing. Hey, can I jump in real quick? You, you just know, did. The, okay. <laughs> One of the reasons is because sales managers are, are creating bad behavior because they're looking at, they want big fat pipelines. No, what you got is you got a sewer pipe. So what happens is it's creating the behavior of salespeople, just keeping stuff in there. I don't want a sewer pipe. I want a fast running water line. Somebody Everyone's moving to see. I'm just giving you tweets galore. I'm just giving you visual pictures. You you definitely prepped for this. You're better prepped than all of us, other than the Gollum thing, which yeah, I'm still thinking about. Well, we are uh, we're going to run out of time without t- touching our third t- subject here, so I have to move us forward to productivity. And I've got to talk about a couple uh, a couple concepts here. I want to talk about time blocking, and I want to talk about the golden hours. And I want to start with you, Mike, because I've I've worked with you. Uh, side by side on a number of cases. So I know that you're deeply passionate about this. 
And still it's something that is neglected in most sales organizations. Yeah, we could go a lot of places with this. I'll, I'll, I'll throw a few thoughts out because I know everyone on this on this session has very strong opinions about time blocking. We all know this. Time time is not manageable. It's the great equalizer. We all have 168 hours in a week. It's, it's what you do with the time. We've all come to the place where we will tell you that time blocking is the only thing that we see works for successful reps and successful executives. And, it's, and, it's, and I'm going to put the definition out there because sometimes people don't know what we're talking about. Time blocking is the discipline of making appointments with yourself to work on your highest value activities. And, and part of the reason that this practice is so critical is because nobody defaults to prospecting mode. Nobody. There's always something easier, something more attractive, or something more urgent to do. And we haven't addressed in this session yet um, the seller who manages existing business. We've talked a lot about hunting. The truth is, on a lot of our, our sales, uh, on a lot of our clients, the salespeople have kind of a, a hybrid role where they're supposed to hunt and they're supposed to maintain. <clears throat> excuse me. And there's this there's this reality that um, we have guys in territories who view themselves as territory managers. And they're supposed to cover the geography. It's almost like they see themselves as caretakers over a piece of God's earth that, that's been entrusted to them or their account list. So the mentality gets in, we have to maintain, we have to cover, or and existing customers have fires that need to be put out. And we jump in and we overserve those customers in the name of client retention. And while that all sounds good, all that stuff is, is, uh, is a huge opportunity cost that gets in the way of prospecting. So back to time block. And the only thing that works is if you get to your calendar first and you carve out these blocks of time where you're going to do nothing but stay in outbound mode. You shut down your, your social your social stuff and you don't take phone calls and you don't leave your inbox open. And if you, if you have to send emails, that's fine, but don't look at what's coming in because the second you get an email from a client or from your boss, it's going to blow up your time block. So time blocking is the one thing I see executives and salespeople do. They're selfish. They own their time. And I'll, I'll yield there because I know these guys have have tons of opinions on time blocking. Let's go to Jeb. And uh, I, I wonder if you would uh, tackle this idea about golden hours. And I, I know that when you talk about prospecting, you've got a lot of very strong opinions here. Well, if you think about time, your success as a salesperson, your income as a salesperson will all be, always be limited by how you spend your time. And there's only so many hours in a day that you have to sell to be face-to-face. And when I say face-to-face, I mean, you know, on the telephone or face-to-face standing in front of prospects. And that's the golden hours. And they're different for everybody, but for typical B2B reps, it's, you know, eight o'clock in the morning to say five o'clock in the afternoon. And it's how you use those golden hours is how the value that you put on those golden hours that are going to make the most impact. So for example, as Mike said, you call them caretakers, I call them zookeepers. But if you've got a bunch of zookeepers running around, you're taking care of all the the prospects or the the clients that you already have, you're probably not going to be spending your time on the most impactful thing that you can do. And that is to put new opportunities into the pipeline. Because if all you do is manage the animals in your zoo, the the clients in your your book, you're shrinking, Your, your, your business is actually failing just a little bit every single day. And so when we think about it, there's three basic things that salespeople do. They do trivial things, they do important things, they do impactful things. The most impactful thing that you can do is outbound prospecting. And you will do, as Mike said, anything other than do prospecting. You will default to anything other than that. Not so, this group, though. Not so, the group that we're, we're talking about other reps. Not well, the ones true. watching not, this. Not they showed up reps. at BSK. These not are these, outbound. <laughs> right. these ultra-high performers. Right. But here's the deal. Even ultra-high performers, even top salespeople – will start their day opening emails up or doing things that are trivial versus impactful. So here's my advice. 
when you leave this this um, the the VSK and you go to the rest of your world, make the commitment to begin your day with the most impactful thing you can do. And the most impactful thing you can do as a salesperson is put something new in your pipeline. So you block an hour to two hours every single morning when you're at your highest energy state. And when you are most passionate, most enthusiastic, and most confident, and you develop your prospecting list in a way that gets you in front of the right prospects at the right time in that in those blocks, you do that every single day. You will not fail. You will be the number one person on your team. I guarantee it. Mark Hunter. I'm going to jump in here and pick up on this. And Jeb, you're so right. That golden hour is so critical. But I'll tell you what, thinking about prospecting is not prospecting. Preparing to prospect is not prospecting. It's not prospecting until you engage. When you're in that golden hour, that is when you are prospecting. I've got two things that I always love to talk about. Tomorrow starts today. Yep, I'm talking in those little snippet words again. But here's the whole thing. I'm going to lay out my prospecting plan for tomorrow before I shut down today. Second of all, you got to ask yourself, is it an RPA? RPA, Revenue Producing Activity. We wind up, especially this is account managers and people who are managing territories like what you were talking about, Mike, taking care of existing stuff, babysitting this and doing this. Ask yourself, is that a revenue producing activity? We over-service existing accounts all for the sake of, so I don't have to prospect, which comes back to this whole key thing. Top producing people, high performing people, and I'm talking Bill Gates, et cetera. They don't have a to-do list. It's their calendar because it's scheduled into their calendar and they schedule. This is the one hour window. This is the 15 minute window. I know one person who manages their day in six minutes, block, six minute blocks. And no, they're not an attorney. That's how attorneys charge, but they manage it in six minute days. And believe me, this person is incredibly productive. We all have more time in our calendars to prospect, but we got to start and schedule it, stick to it. And that means actually prospecting, not thinking, not preparing, doing it. I think from from my view, time is the single finite non-renewable resource that any of us have. And I think because that's true, you you have to do three things. And I think that uh, this is the part of, about selling that causes a lot of people to, to struggle producing results. One, you have to invest that time in your most important outcomes. And in sales, if you don't like prospecting, you don't really like selling. I mean, that's a lot of what it is, is opportunity creation. The second thing is you have to work really hard. And I continue to hear people say things like, uh, I don't want to work harder. I want to work smarter. You know what you would do if you were going to work smarter? Work harder. You're not working hard enough. You know, and I see inside salespeople, for example, who make 12 dials a day. You're not working hard enough. You can't succeed. It's working smarter, working harder. And listen, you got to work like you're running out of time. I mean, most of the time you have to work like the, the clock is working against you because it is. And so you have to work with a great sense of urgency on what's important. And I, I wrote a post last week that got a bunch of, uh, sent a bunch of emails to me about, I only bring my inbox to zero twice a week on Wednesday and on Saturday morning. And if you're in my inbox between uh, Saturday when I'm done and Wednesday morning, you might be there for a long time, but I don't get paid by the email and I don't get any kind of a bonus at the end of the year for being at inbox zero. And so many people live in that inbox instead of working on their highest priorities, their highest priorities never get their time because their browser's always open to, uh, to Gmail or outlooks always open. And you have to decide what are you going to do 
with the limited time you have to make a difference and, and to generate results for you, for your family, for your company, and for your clients. I mean, that's why we're all here. I'm going to transition us because we're running out of time. And I, I want to talk about, um, I want to talk about our sponsor, Cirrus Insights. And I, I want to talk about CRM uh, particularly. And Jeb, I want to start with you because I know you're a product user and you're, you're very, very uh, hot on what Cirrus does. Yeah, I mean, Mark and I did a, a webinar just, I think, last year on CRM that's, that was a fun webinar to do. And and we basically came to the conclusion there's two types of salespeople. There's salespeople that treat their CRM like a trash can, and there's salespeople that treat their CRM like it's a gold mine. And the ones that treat their, 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 their CRM like a trash this can is, is the ones this, who, this is the most tweet-worthy VSK I, in history. I, I, you know, but <laughs> the, it um, is. It's lighting up. The the, the the reps that treat their 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 serum like the trash can they 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 do that because they think they're they're putting things in the serum using the serum for the man right so that because the boss is keeping an eye on the reps that treat their their serum like a gold mine are the reps who say this this is the greatest tool that I have because it can remember things that I I that I don't so I don't have to and when I need to find my dream account when I need to open up a door it's going to be there for me. So where Sears Insight comes in to, to play for us and why I love this tool, and I thank Brandon Bruce and his team for sponsoring VSK uh, 2017 because they've been a great partner. But if you think about it, the hardest thing about your CRM is entering data into your CRM. And as you said, Anthony, most people have their, you know, their outlook open all day long. I mean, their emails always open and salespeople are doing a lot of back and forth with their prospects. And where Sears Insight comes into play is that Sears Insight basically makes it easy so that everything that's happening in your inbox is getting automatically put into your CRM. And, you know, my team, we use Salesforce.com. We pair that with Sears Insight and it just makes things so much easier. Easier. So it saves us precious time that we can spend on our most impactful activities, which is prospecting, getting things into the pipeline and moving our deals to the next step. I want to want to say one word about that for those who think it's a gold mine. I mean, I, I think of CRM as that's the, the record of your relationship. And if you were to leave the company you are right now, what's the one thing you want to take with you? Your relationships, right? right? So, so why wouldn't you manage those relationships using software as your outboard brain to remember all those details and everything in every email so that you don't have to? That's my pitch. Mike Weinberg? Yeah, and I need to be careful here because those people who follow me know I don't talk a lot about tools because it's not my forte. What, what I'll say is I have got a lot of clients in the industrial space with tenured reps that like to, that have had a hard adjustment the last five, 10 years into the technology that we're in. And what I, what I like about what I'm seeing with Cirrus and, and what I'm preaching regularly to especially tenured reps is this is reality, guys. This is today. And let's not create uh, redundant and triple uh, work for ourselves. This is where we need to be. If it's not in the CRM, it's not real. If you've got a great tool here that allows you to play in your inbox and then it stuff ends up in the CRM and it's a Salesforce, that's awesome. So my, my biggest coach into folks that have been resistant is, it's over. The game, the, that, that decision has been made. Every company has a CRM. You've got to get with the program. Stop wasting your energy trying to fight it and just embrace it. You'll be happier. You'll figure it out and you'll move on. You, you think this whole information age thing is going to stick, huh? You may get me on Facebook by the end of this decade, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Mark Hunter. Hey, the whole CRM thing, look at it as a tree. Look at it as a shade tree. The whole idea is the longer it's out there, the bigger it gets. What does it do? It provides more shade for your yard. It becomes more valuable. That's really what a CRM, too many people are saying, well, 
I'll update CRM at the end of the week or I do it Saturday. No, you update it, you, you input it continuously. And the value of CRM comes down the road. I see too many people, well, it's not necessary to put it in. Oh, I'll tell you what, that little nugget that you just heard on the phone, that's got to get in because you know what? That may be what you lead off your next discussion with. That may be the key. Add every piece of CRM you put in, every piece of information you put into a CRM system is another piece of the puzzle. And it's creating better and better pictures for you. I can't emphasize it enough. Don't get hung up on, on 10,000 tools. Just have a couple that you use really well. And your CRM is one of them. Well, I, I think now we have to end this BSK-17, but we have to end with an announcement, right? Are we ready to announce this? Jeb is he's ready. (laughs) Because you're here, you're going to get a special invitation in your email that follows this VSK 17, inviting you to the first ever outbound conference in Atlanta, Georgia on April 16th. And I will be there and Mike Weinberg will be there. Mark Hunter will be there. And for some reason, we're going to let Jeb be there. So he can tell you stories about Gollum. This will be a live event and we're going to stick to these themes for 17. We're going to talk about prospecting. We're going to talk about pipeline and we're going to talk about productivity. This will be an intimate setting. So not everybody's going to get in. Uh, You're going to get first dibs on tickets and uh, you'll have some period of time once you get the, the email invitation to sign up before we release this to the public. So thank you for being here. And Jeb, who will be sponsoring this conference? This conference will be sponsored by our partners, uh, Cirrus Insight. And again, thank you to the Cirrus Insight team. It's a fantastic, fantastic tool. And we'll also be sending you an, a, an email that will have a link to Cirrus Insight where you can sign up for a free demo, no strings attached. And when you sign up, they'll send you a $5 uh, Starbucks card. So they'll buy a cup of coffee for just taking a look at their at their product. It's a fantastic tool. Serious Insight. This is VSK 17. This is prospecting pipeline and productivity. So take what you heard here, go back, make changes in what you're doing. You've got a lot of year left ahead of you and go out and crush it, kill it and make your number, do everything that you need to be successful. I'm Anthony Arena with Jeb Blunt, Mark Hunter and Mike Weinberg. And we're going to hang around, right? Yes, after show. to do a little bit of an after show. So if you have time to hang around, we'll give you a little bit of behind the scenes content here where uh, we talk to each other and share some other ideas. And Jeb, I'm going to get started with you. That's a big book you got there behind you. What's the it's date a, on that thing? It's a what? big old book. It's coming out in March, Sales EQ. And uh, in fact, a lot of stuff we talked about is in Sales EQ. So it's, uh, it's been... Um, I spent about eight months of of just pure pain writing this book, but uh, it's a big book. Is it bigger than Mark's book? It's got to be bigger than Mark's book. <laughs> it's it's hey, it's hey. taller for sure. I think. What, I can what, I can move the camera closer. Come on. Come on. <laughs> what 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 do you think is uh, the best? I mean, the most. If you had to just point to one section of the book that was integral that you want everybody to read, I mean, probably the most important part of the book, probably something very close to the beginning. What would that be? I, I mean, something that, maybe that somebody else wrote. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> the the foreword is is uh, is fantastic. It's probably the best part of the book. Um, and uh, That's so and funny because I've been told that about my books that the best parts are the. Forward. I've been told that about my book too, Jeb. <laughs> so, 
Um, but I do, do thank you, Anthony, for uh, for kicking the book off and writing the foreword. Um, I did not put your name on the cover, um, but th- th- I know, Mike, you like the, the name on the cover. That but. seems to be a trend now. But We're I know I have to put, remedy this with all our publishers now. Wait, but, but you see how big my name is. So look, look at my name. Isn't look at it's big. <laughs> so. Hey, Jeb. Honestly, I'm really excited that you tackled this topic. I uh, I got I got to read the book and. Uh, <laughs> this is a big deal. This is a great, a great compliment to fanatical prospecting. And uh, man, we all know the top sellers have really high EQ and uh, they manage themselves and their emotions and their relationships well. And this is, I'm, I'm really excited for the impact this book will have on the community. So that'll be fun. Well, I appreciate that. I think that the, you know, the study of this book was the ultra high performers. So the people, not the top 20%, but the top five and 1%. And you're exactly right. But they, but they're, it's bigger than that. You know, the one that they, they basically do, you know, three things, really four things really well. One is that they, they, they're fanatical about prospecting. They keep their pipeline full. And because they, they do that, they're able to be really, really picky with the deals that they work. And the second thing that they do is they're, they're just obsessed with win probability. So they don't spend a lot of their time working on deals that aren't going to close. And they've, they've got mechanisms that allow themselves to detach from deals that are bad. They are, um, they're, they're, they're disciplined with their time so that they use every moment wisely on the highest ROI activities. And they're virtuosos with people. They have the ability to manage their own disruptive emotions, which for average salespeople, that's the thing that gets in the way of pretty much everything they do is their, their disruptive emotions. And, and they're, they're really fantastic with, with uh, human influence frameworks and managing it and, <coughs> and, and responding to the emotions of other people. And when you start looking at it, you know, Mike, that's what's so crazy about it. It's not like the, these people that are, you know, just way better than everybody else. It's not like that they have, that, that there's some level of talent that they have that's just so much better. It's just that they they have these systems that they put in place either because, you know, they just fell into it or someone taught them. And like me, someone taught me how to do this, but they're just, they, they make so much more money than everyone else. And the formula is there. And that's what I attempted to do in Sales EQ is to, is to build that formula for ultra high performance and talk about how emotions play. Um, but I, I, but as an author, I can tell you, it's, it's been a very, very difficult book to write to try to take what is complicated and complex, um, you know, brain works and the way people operate and dial it into something that's simple and easy that people can understand. I just make a request on behalf of the rest of us, and I think we've given you enough of a plug here. Could you please put this book in a different category than the categories our books are in? Because the three of us have been so frustrated looking up at, at fanatical prospecting in the categories. I don't know what the hell fanatical prospecting doing in the sales management category. Get it out of there. I can't. You cost me rankings every day. I've. And- my friend. I, I've, well, first of all, I don't think that any book that I ever write will ever sell as much as uh, as fanatical prospecting. I, I, I don't. Uh, I, I that that book has been you know beyond the pale in terms of of sales. But I, I appreciate that. Thank you. That, my, that, was, that was good for my ego. My second book is called Fanatical Commitment Gaining, and uh, it's coming out you know next year too. I we're we're we all going to use fanatical as the title. I think we need to create a separate separate category called fanatical because it really hurts my self-esteem every time every time i look at a category and i see it just hurts my self-esteem hey but if you notice that all of our books are grouped very closely together at the very top of most of the um of most of the ranking so um it's you know we're all in this people need help i you know I, i say this all the time even if we weren't good at what we did we'd have business because these other morons are 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 preaching such stupidity that salespeople and sales managers want to hear. It's put the the sales world in such a a tenuous situation. There's so much hurt out there. People are begging, begging for help. 
I mean, absolutely begging for help. I'll, I'll share something with you guys. And I guess we're, if we're still live here, so be it. I went to, uh, last week, I went to Michael Hyatt's uh, Free to Focus conference. I know, Anthony, you've done some work with Michael in the past and promoted some of his stuff. I've been a follower of, of his for years. And it was really fun to be in, a, in the same room. It was a real small setting for a few days at this workshop. And um, How many people just said a curiosity? Uh, there were about 40 that signed up for this premiere workshop. Uh, it was a much bigger program, but those this got you the two days sure. with him. Um, my big conviction, and this is something, and I need to play this out in my business and with also with my clients, is you know, there's so much opportunity. Which do you want to pick, pick and choose? And I'm realizing that I need to shrink some things I'm doing in my business right now. The amount of demand that we have to speak. I mean, I, I can't keep the pace. I don't know how Jeb lives at the pace and mark you're probably pretty close when it comes to travel i can't live like that and uh i'm gonna i'm gonna put a hard cap on the number of speaking engagements i'm willing to do in a month and i'm gonna i'm gonna reuse that time to invest in in developing product and and in my family and some personal stuff health wise and other things it was really helpful to get get some coaching on the outside and it, it's interesting it had application to me personally but there were so many principles too when it comes to uh productivity and distractions and focus that apply in our world in sales where our clients, whether they're executives or salespeople struggle, buried in minutia, living out of control, wearing a busyness as a badge of honor. So it was just between the personal help I got and some clarity about the business and then some other things that will fit in in the world of sales. It was really powerful. It just reminded me, it's why uh, people need to invest in themselves. I don't know, one of you just wrote a blog post recently about uh, it's on your own responsibility to invest in yourself and it feels good to spend your own money on your own development. And especially because we preached that, I just it was, it was a good experience for me. G greatest return on investment you'll ever make. You know, the reason Jeb's on the road so much is uh, his wife has uh, got papers ready to file if he's home more than one night a week. So um, <laughs> that that's she told me that she's a delightful woman and shockingly poor taste. <laughs> you know, there's something interesting about what Mike said, and I think the value of success is in our ability to say no. And you look at the most successful people, they don't chase the shiny object. And I think that's, I, I see a lot of weak need salespeople that they run off and they chase the shiny object. Oh, wow. This is a hot, this is hot. This hot. Sa salespeople. How about executives? Uh, yeah. Everybody, everybody. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is, is that the three most important assets we have are our time, our mind, and our network. And our objective every day needs to be, how do we preserve our time? grow our mind and leverage our network. And if I can do those three things every day, I've had a pretty successful day. What, what's interesting about what Mike said with the focus and the, the paring down is I've spoken at the same sales conference three years in a row, three different themes, always additive, no subtraction. And uh, Mike, I think probably at, at Hyatt's event, the, the, con the concept and the conversation was around what are you subtracting so that you can have room for what's most important. Yeah, so you can say yes to the, the most important relationships yeah. and, and activities. Can I throw one more thing out here, as long as we're gonna be a little risky? And I may, this is the risk of uh, offending some of our peers, but I, I'm gonna throw it out there, because Mark, you talked about the shiny object and it made me think of this. You know how five years ago it was inbound marketing and then it was social selling and for the last year it's been sales enablement and we see all the, I don't want to call them lemmings, but that's the word that comes to my mind. All the people in our business are, they got to get on the bandwagon. And now all their blog posts are about, about sales enablement. If I see one more thing on account-based fill-in-the-blank 
I'm going to call somebody out. I mean, I can, I have never seen an entire industry of people. Jeb, go ahead. I, I, you're this, this is, this is actually an account-based coffee I picked up this morning. Okay. How can we, can, can I just say it? Like I've loved making fun of the social selling people and the inbound only people and the sales. And like, if you have to wrap your sales improvement thing around the new hottest label, are you insecure? Are you, are you just, are you grasping like the salespeople? I mean, I cannot believe the bandwagon jumpers in our space. I probably just lost 20 friends on the internet. I'm sorry. Hey, um, Mike, go out and I've got it on my YouTube channel. I've got what I, when I spoke last year at Dreamforce, I really pissed off a lot of people by saying, I hate the word sales enablement, sales enablement, sales enablement. Oh, please, please choke me, choke me. So I'm going to share a secret since we're all sharing secrets. My salespeople are watching this. And so what they've done is they've made a note that uh, Mike's going to be working less next year. And they're already trolling your client base. They're probably hacking into your CRM right now. And they'll make a call because they know that, that you know, that I'll, I'm like, you know, I'll do anything. So, I mean, this, this, this week, I, I, was in, I was in Amsterdam. Then I was in Milan, Italy. And we had a client in, in Raleigh, North Carolina. My rep says to me, I, I said, I don't know how I'm going to make it. He goes, well, the, it's going to be tight, but the plane will work. I said, well, what about sleep? He said, you don't need sleep. He said, just get on the damn plane. That's my salesperson telling me that, right? So they're aggressive. They're coming, they're coming after you, Mike. The, this they don't have to, Jeb. I'm going to point the people. I'm going to point the people to you. They don't got to steal them. I'm going to cut back. It's going to be beautiful. I'm working on a private hey, jet. Yeah. Anthony's working on that for me. <laughs> yeah. I, got, I got you. I got a contract for you. Yeah, but Jeb, remember, I shared with you the three keys to success. Step one is coffee and coffee. Step two was Mountain Dew. And step three was Red Bull. Absolutely. By the time you got to Raleigh, you were on Red Bull. I don't know what you write, you know, I write books, right? I get on airplanes. I'm on an airplane all the time. Everything I own, I bought in an airport. But, I mean, you can write books on airplanes. It's it's fantastic. That's why I like the Atlanta airport so much. It's where I replace my shoes. Yep, you know, shoes and shirts. They got Brooks Brothers there. <laughs> Some yes. of my best work time, my best writing time is sitting on the airplane. Now, I know, Mike, you're a Southwest person. I don't know how you can work on an airplane on Southwest, but but um, that's why some of us fly first class. And, and you know, we have a little and, more room. In the remaining couple minutes we have, um, let me shift you guys to an important subject. Let's talk about outbound. What, why, why do you think that what we're doing here is important? And, Mike, you started setting this up because – I, I've noticed people now, um, our friend Tony Hughes, who I, I love, Australian guy, great guy, super smart. Um, he, he, he's got a huge engagement on LinkedIn and he posts comments for people to just respond to. And one of them was, is, is outbound the new inbound? And I thought, well, we've been saying that since 2009 and we owned outboundconference.com. Outbound Boston, Outbound Atlanta, Outbound Chicago, Outbound Dallas, Outbound Los Angeles. We have uh, we have this plan to do this. Uh, wh why do you think this is important? Well, I think there's been a wake up call. I think, and, and Tony is, is helping uh, spearhead the message. Uh, I think we I think we were lonely, and I tell my clients this. I I feel like the handful of us, and there's more than just the four of us on here. There's there's another handful or so of folks have been out there really in a battle for the souls of salespeople who have been lied to with this nonsense. And I think everyone's kind of waking up and realize, oh my gosh, you're really not going to make a living uh, playing in LinkedIn groups and writing blog posts as a seller and that you need to do more outbound. I think the other thing is that I have clients, I've noticed this in the last three months even, 
I'm seeing even veteran, crusty, old reps that would have turned their nose down at prospecting perk up. And when I'm doing a full day workshop and I get in the afternoon and we get through the sales story and then get into outbound phone calls and voicemail, the attention level of everyone in the room goes up. Everyone is taking pictures of the slides. Everyone wants me to repeat how I said that phrase about getting in to get the meeting or how you push past resistance. It's in Jeb's, we all do this. Everybody wants this help because they know they need more meetings. The great curse, Anthony, you say it all the time. I don't want to steal your line, but you talk about, you know, where people are opportunity starved, especially the younger salespeople that are sitting around waiting. So outbound is so important because we know that the, the real salespeople pursue strategic prospects before they're shopping. They're not sitting on their butt waiting for a lead. They're going after them. So if you're going to go after them, you might as well be good at it. Have the right mindset, the right messaging, the right technique to know what happens when you get engaged in a call. I mean, I love fanatical prospecting. I was praying for a book like Jeb's when it came out because there's so much in there that helps you understand you are an interruption. Let's not use it as an excuse. Let's embrace it. You're interrupting someone, so what are you going to do about it, right? So there's there's all this help that people need to, to understand that you're not a low life. You're not telemarketing. I don't even like to call it cold calling just because of the, the feeling. You're an important business person who has a solution to, to the issue that your, your prospect probably has. If your motivation is to help them win, they should, they should want to see you. You should do everything in your power to want to get in front of them. And that's why I'm passionate about prospecting. And we all see in our clients, those who do it well, get more meetings. They make relationships early. They end up in the consultant's chair. They bring value. They do what Anthony says. They're good at gaining commitments and advancing deals. And they win. So that was probably a longer answer than you were hoping for, but I think it was pretty good. So that's why outbound matters. Well, I mean, I'll yield. Amen. Amen. Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> I, I think you're. I think you're exactly right. I think the the uh, we're we are an interruption. Just embrace it. Do it. I mean, just interrupt people. Just do it fast and do it relevant and uh, and ask for what you want. And the I think I think the outbound conference is huge. I think it's absolutely the biggest thing is going to hit sales. I think you'll see over the next year or two that this conference grows and grows and grows. We're taking a risk putting this on, but it's not a huge risk because everywhere I go, fanatical prospecting is a piece of that. But ninety percent of my time. And is and I'm not a you know one trick pony. I've got deep content, but most of my time I'm spending at top of the funnel. I'm spending help helping organizations. And Mark said this you know in in the um, in the VSK um, earlier portion, but you talked about prospecting culture. I mean, I'm I'm helping companies develop that. But you know, one of the things that I find myself becoming and being is, and this is a lot like Mike. And I hear you know I hear. Uh, might do the same thing, but I'm almost becoming the voice that walks into a company and tells them the truth. Here's the truth. And that's where, you know, where, you know, VPs and executives are asking me to come in because they're saying it and they feel like they're blue in the face. And when someone else comes in and has that conversation with their people, that they get it. Outbound conference is going to be a place where a salesperson can come in much like what Mike was talking about at Michael, Michael Hyatt's conference, but you can come in and you can get deep content and deep, get techniques and be with like-minded people who are interested in doing this in a small group environment where you get a lot of attention from us and you walk out and you just don't walk out a better person. You walk out and you make a whole lot more money. And by the way, that's why I'm in this game. Mark Hunter. You know, outbound is really outcome focused. 
you think about it. That's really what we're going to help people tweet, with. Tweet, tweet, tweet. Tweet, tweet, tweet. Hey, but let me share with you one quick thought because this comes up all the time. People say, oh, I can't pick up the phone. I can't prospect. And this is one of the things I'll be talking about at Outbound. If you believe that what you do helps people, it's irregardless what you sell, but can you help people? Do you help people achieve? The definition of a good salesperson is one who helps others see and achieve what they didn't think was possible. So if you believe in that, if you believe you can help people, don't you owe it to them to interrupt them? Don't you owe it to them to prospect? Don't you owe it to them to help them? Yeah, because if you don't, you're doing a disservice to them. I want to uh, I want to close this down by talking about the money. And we never said anything about that, but you're going to see uh, we priced Outbound Conference at, at a price that any rep who wants to show up can pay for it themselves, specifically because if you want the help, we want to give it to you. And all of us get paid to walk into big companies. But if you're at a small company and you want to show up, you're going to be able to, uh, you're going to reach into your own pocket and pay this. It's not going to be a significant amount of money. There'll be some things that you can do if you want to have a, a different level of uh, experience with us. But other than that, you're going to be able to make this. So uh, gentlemen, thank you. This is VSK 17 After Show. Thanks so much for, uh, for you guys always being willing to do this. It's been great. And I uh, can't wait to work with you again in April at the Outbound. Oh, and, and thank you again to our sponsor, uh, Cirrus Insight. Go check out Cirrus Insight. We'll be sending you more information about Cirrus Insight, but you can check them out right now at CirrusInsight.com. Double sponsor, VSK and Outbound. Absolutely. There you go. All right. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>